Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast about children's mental health and emotional well-being. I'm Dr. Leah Gugino, a primary care pediatrician, and I created this podcast for the pediatric medical community and anyone who cares about children's behavioral health. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Hey listeners, welcome back to Pediatric Meltdown. And today is what you've been waiting for, part four of Dr. Colleen Cullinan's series on ADHD. Dr. Colleen Cullinan is a pediatric psychologist specializing in integrated primary care and preventative services. Dr. Cullinan completed her PhD in clinical psychology at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan in 2015. Her presentation and publication records center around integrated care, family-based interventions, and experiential cultural humility training. Dr. Cullinan is also the co-founder of the Dream IPC Conference, a biennial conference centering around innovations in pediatric integrated care. The next conference will be in September of 2023. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Colleen Cullinan. So, so I'm sure this is the next part is, okay, so what do you do? How do you, I mean, because part of it, I think we're trying to model and teach, maybe explain it. Like, here's the reason I get, you don't really care about this. Here's the reason. And maybe you'll understand this someday, but so what's, what does a parent or a teacher say to that? That's going to be, so how do you match stage two with stage two? It's a great question. I'll just, I'll tell a quick story that I tell the family sometimes. I promise it's fast. <laughs> let's, say, let's say you're at home and you have a home that has rules because you're a good parent. And in your home, there's lots of places you're allowed to play. You can play in the family room. You can play in the toy room. You can play outside. You can play. There's like three or four different areas that are designated as places you're allowed to play. Go play in those places. There's like a billion toys. There's a ton of stuff. Great. The one place you're not supposed to play is the living room. And the living room is where we have all of our fancy stuff and you're not supposed to play in there. You can like walk around gently in there and sometimes you go in there to watch movies, but you are not allowed to run around in that space. That's the rule. So what are your kids gonna do? You've designated all these places to play. They're gonna run around in the place you said don't run around. So kids are running, kids are running, kids are running. You say, don't run in there, go to the playroom. They're running, they're running, they're running. And somebody knocks over a vase. And guess what? This isn't just some random target vase. This is a vase that actually had a lot of meaning to you. This is your mother's vase, your grandmother's vase. It's an heirloom. It's been passed down for generations. There's no replacing this vase. There's no fixing it. It has a lot of sentimental value to you. And you said, don't run around in that living room. (laughs) Like you made it very clear what was up. And you go in there and you show them this shattered vase. And you say, don't you know what this meant to me? And your kids are like, no, I don't know, but I think you're mad. So I'm going to try to get out of this situation. And then parents spend a lot of time in a situation like that being like, this meant a lot to me. I can't replace it. You're so irresponsible. I told you not to do that. Why did you do it? Why? Why did you ruin this beautiful thing that I had in my home that means so much to me? And your kids are like, I don't, I can't, you seem upset. I don't know, but what do I do to get out of this situation? So doing that is not a consequence. And this is what I think really hurts parents or itches at them a little bit 
which is the real thing to do in that situation, probably a real con like a stage two meeting of that situation would be to actually not have a giant discussion about it in the moment. The thing to do in that kind of a situation would be you have to clean up this vase and now you're going to have to make a repair to our family. And that repair might be you have to earn the money to buy us a new vase. Is it going to be as special as the magical vase that was your grandmother's? Nope. But they don't know that it was a magical vase that was your grandmother's. They can't connect to generational heirlooms. Like they can't, they cannot do that mentally. And so does it feel like the punishment, quote unquote, fits the crime? No. But when we're talking about behavior change, it's not about vengeance. It's about having something that's going to actually impact their behavior next time and make them not run around in the living room. Getting an emotional lecture from you is not going to click with them. <laughs> As opposed to, I have to stop playing now and clean up this vase, and I have to now do chores to earn the money to buy a new vase, that clicks with me. Like That is a logical consequence in the moment that connects directly to my behaviors and is sort of like a rule-governed, structured response. As a parent, does that feel good? Does that feel like mm -hmm. I got what I needed out of the encounter? No. So it's kind of this decision about as you or you as a parent is your objective, again, intentions is a strong word, but, but is your objective sort of to get one back or is your objective to keep kids from running around in the living room? And if that's your objective, then you got to meet a stage two behavior with a stage two consequence. So it sounds like that's a, a big win, little win. It so is. Trying to teach the kid that, you know, the little win is that I'm going to have to do this stuff for my mom to clean it up. And I may or may not feel bad about it. Yeah. And although I saw my mom sobbing, is that going to, that distress, is that going to be registered? I mean, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. I'm not trying to paint kids as like incapable of human emotions. Like I, I'm certainly not. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> and I think kids do. I'm not ever saying that there's not guilt. Or, you know, that there is not flashes of that. I'm just saying it is certainly not, you know, the alternative that kids are like tiny little Machiavelli's running around, you know, with some sort of really, you know, I always, it breaks my heart. And I know parents feel this way when they say this, but when they describe like their eight-year-old as manipulative or their, mm. their six-year-old as manipulative. And I'm like, I know where that's coming from. That's coming from a place of pain as a parent, you know what I mean? And a place of like, I truly don't understand why this is happening. And so I, whenever that word comes out, I'm, I always recognize that that's not the parent kind of being dismissive of their child. It's coming from a place of true pain. But it breaks my heart because I'm like, your kid, it's not that. It's not, you know, it's not that kids aren't having feelings or emotions or the beginnings of more complex emotions. I think that they are. It's more like I very much doubt that a lot of these things are pre-planned and have malicious intent and, and and I I just can't believe that because I just know cognitively kids are not capable of actively being manipulative. Being manipulative is like a really sophisticated thing. <laughs> like it's yeah. a really. I often would no. say to parents, you know, it's not like she got up in the morning and thought, I want to have a really bad day. I want to get in lots of trouble and I want my mom to be screaming at me. I mean, nobody starts the day. I. Um, Ross Green, who's a, a psychologist, often says children do what they can. You know, it's not that they're not trying. It's just it's kind of like you're saying they can only do what they can do. You know, we wouldn't say they're being manipulative by not 
walking if they're only able to crawl. I think that's right. And so, you know, I, I very rarely, I almost never would be corrective in a situation like that about caregiver use that, like use manipulative, but sure. I, but it does make me, that's a red flag to me. Like, oh, you're operating on stage three and you're wanting your child to meet you there. And that's just not, that's just not going to happen. When you go through this conversation with parents, does this, does it click? I mean, do uh-huh. you see that? I mean, I'm listening to you going, oh, this makes so much sense. It's such a smart way of thinking about it. And and do you see that for families like, oh, that's why this doesn't work? Yeah. And honestly, I think it's like a really freeing conversation. Like it's a conversation that says, hey, guess what? You are not responsible for making your eight-year-old a perfectly empathetic angel. Like that's not your responsibility as a parent. And I would never harness you with that. You know, like I just, I think it's a very, it's like a big light bulb conversation and you see parents almost take the mantle off their shoulders. Like you, you see the heaviness of that, that so many parents are carrying around, you know, believing that their kid is capable of really kind of sophisticated stuff or that they should be capable of empathy. And they're not like, I just think there's like a lot of relief in, oh, okay, I don't have to do that. I'm not a terrible mom. Right. (laughs) I'm not a terrible mom. And also that, you know, that it will come with time and that it's different than IQ. This isn't about a kid being smart or not smart. It doesn't matter like how smart they are. This is a, it's a different thing. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what's sticky about it too, is because a lot of time kids are super verbal. And so parents are like, well, they can say why it was wrong or they can say, they can repeat back to me the, the conversation that we had. And that's true. But it's almost like, again, it's like driving a car, like you were saying. It's really different to sit in class and driver's ed and know all the rules and know all the answers. And then to actually get behind the wheel of a car is a very different thing. I can say all the feeling words and I can know all the labels and I can understand. But empathy, to feel it in my body, that's going to take a long time to click in and integrate. And so sometimes parents are like, no, they know what empathy is because they know all the like feelings words. And I point them out and we talk about it all the time. And I'm a huge fan of that huge fan of like emotion coaching and emotion labeling and emotion recognition. That is the foundation for being able someday for empathy to come online. But just because you do that doesn't mean that it's coming online. You know, just like you were saying about walking, I could throw a kid in a pool and I can hold them up and they could do the little reflex where they move their legs. And that doesn't mean they're going to get out of the pool and walk faster than any other kid in America. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's right, it's not right. about that. You know, it, it's just it's got to take a little bit of time to, to come online. That's how all executive functions are. So when we're thinking about, OK, so I get the stages. That makes sense. So in terms of behavior change yeah. for a kid to do what I want them to do and do what they're supposed to do, how do I do that? Is it is it rewards? Is it, you know, punishment? I mean, what works? Great, great question. So like we talked last episode about TLC. TLC is a real stage two move. TLC is like, I'm going to give you some more information and then you make the choice. And kids in stage two love a choice. They love feeling the autonomy of a choice. And so TLC is like a really awesome stage two move. And what's beautiful about task limit consequences, there is no logicking. There is no rationalizing. There is no appeal to emotion. There is no yelling. It is a robotic scripted thing that says, I'm offering you some information. You may now make the choice. It is a developmentally matched way to communicate with a child. TLC is beautiful for stage two. Before we go go further, describe again what TLC stands for and what it, what it looks like. 
Absolutely. So TLC is task limit consequence. It's a very specific way of like offering a warning. You don't want to overdo it with warnings. You know, the more you repeat yourself, actually, the worse outcomes you're going to have, the least less likely that kids are going to be to follow through. So TLC is about offering a warning in a very, very specific way. You say something like, go brush your teeth. And you should know within about five seconds, I'm moving to brush my teeth or I'm not. If we're not moving to brush teeth, TLC looks like this. You know, go brush your teeth in the next 10 seconds. There won't be any iPad tomorrow. If you don't brush your teeth in the next 30 seconds, you'll go to bed 10 minutes earlier tomorrow. If you don't brush your teeth in the next 30 seconds, we'll only do one bedtime story, not four or whatever. You know, you pick something and TLC is great because there's not a lot of explanation. There's not a lot of like, here's why. There's not a lot of like, okay, because your teeth are really essential to your long-term health. And if you don't brush them, they're going to fall out. And if you, you will have to pay for all this dental work and you're going to hate it. And remember last time you went to the dentist and you had to get your teeth drilled? And kids are like, I, none of that matters. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, you're appealing to all the things that don't matter. These are all stage three things, hindsight, foresight, insight. Like you're appealing to all the stuff that doesn't matter. TLC is a stage-matched intervention because it recognizes all of that stuff is not what motivates kids. Kids are motivated in stage two by a rule, by a clearly stated rule and a choice to follow or a choice to not follow. And I'm not saying that like suddenly now kids are going to be like, well, all I want to do is follow every single thing that you say, but you have at least increased the likelihood that kids are going to listen to what you're putting out there because you've matched it to where they are developmentally. So like TLC is an awesome intervention for stage two. Timeout is an awesome intervention for stage one because timeout is not talking at all. It is, I am removing my attention from you. And actually in those little kid ages, timeout works the absolute best when you don't say a single thing. You just like physically place a child in a boring and safe space. You start the timer and you, you don't do anything <laughs> like that's a very powerful consequence to a two-year-old. That's a very powerful consequence to a three-year-old or a four-year-old. And so it's a stage-matched consequence because, again, kids at that stage don't respond at all. They don't even know that you have a perspective, so you don't have to spend any hot seconds indicating that you do. You don't have to offer choice to a four-year-old because they don't know what choice. Win, Win-lose, win, like I'm winning or there's no... So you don't have to like even have the appearance of choice for a four-year-old. You can just be like, all right, time out, done. We're done. Get in the chair, you know, and we don't have to talk and it's it. Those are stage-matched examples of communication strategies, of consequences. And you brought up something really important too on the flip side, which is rewards. And I'm really happy to talk about rewards because I think rewards are another intervention that can be very, very stage-matched for stage one and stage two. Not stage three. This is why I think a lot of Parents kind of poo-poo reward systems because in a stage three world, it's like, oh, this is dumb. You know what I mean? Even though we have our own reward system, it's called money. <laughs> it's called the economy. But, you know, it runs a different way. The economy is a stage three thing. And we oftentimes want our stage three mentality to match stage two and stage one. That's why reward systems fail a lot. Okay. I'm taking lots of notes and I wish people could have seen this that <laughs> I was like laughing because sometimes your examples are just they're so spot on. It's like, you have been there, right? <laughs> and I'm just thinking about, I, I mean, I just so vividly remember 
pushing my daughter in the grocery store and she is just screaming. And of course, everyone's looking and she's four. And, you know, I'm thinking about it now. She's not winning because she didn't get the thing. And it was like, I'm just not talking to you and you can keep crying as long as you want to. And I'm just doing my stuff and that's not happening. And, you know, eventually I think they just tire out if they don't win. But, you know, so, but that, that's the image I had with, with that. And, and I also loved, I was thinking about on the flip side of asking a kid who's done something like shoplifting at 15 or 16 and saying, well, what do you think the consequences should be? And they can come up with something that's like they punish themselves worse than you would have. So that different level between that and a kid who's like, nothing, nothing should happen. <laughs> I just yeah. wanted it. Why shouldn't I have wanted it? So I love that. So, well, let's talk a little bit about these specific things about rewards and why you love it so much. Yeah, I love it a lot. And here's why. I think a lot of times when I talk to families, rewards and reward systems get a pretty bad rap out in the world. And I think the thing that comes up the most commonly for me is parents are, look, I'm not bribing my kids. I'm not bribing my kids to do the stuff they're supposed to do. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. I don't want you to bribe your kids. (laughs) Bribery is a crime in all 50 states. Don't bribe your kids. Bribery is, here's a reward. Like, be cool to me. (laughs) Bribery is, here's a hundred and you walk away. Rewards are things that are happening all the time. We are all rewarded. We are just better at kind of like letting the contingencies be the contingencies. So I love my job. I love my job. I love going to work. I love doing the things that I do. But I'll be real. If they didn't send me a paycheck every two weeks, I wouldn't do it. Like I wouldn't do it. And honestly, if they sent me a paycheck at the beginning in the month and said, hey, promise you'll come to work every day, but we're not going to check. And like, you know, you do you. I don't know. I don't know if I would work as hard as I'm working now, knowing how the contingencies actually work, knowing that when I do my work, I will get rewarded, paid for the work that I am doing. I'm a stage three person with a good sense of time and a good understanding of how this world works. So when someone says, hey, you do X amount of work and in two weeks we'll send you a paycheck or we'll deposit in your bank account. I can understand that and I understand how time works and I understand how my efforts today will yield a reward in two weeks. Like I can do that because I'm an adult person. No one's bribing me to be at work. We came to an arrangement and I get rewarded for the effort that I put in. Because that's like a stage three thing, everybody's just like, that's cool. But kids are not stage three beings. They can't do that. They can't. Two weeks is a billion years in the future. And money is actually kind of a made up thing that we all just kind of agreed works. You know what I mean? Not credit card. I don't even know. You know what I mean? Like we as adults have invented all kinds of things that are like these tiny reward systems that are that are keeping all of us doing the things we're supposed to be doing. We don't recognize it because it's like breathing to us. It's like happening all around us all the time. It's just like when you say clean your room. It's just like when you say, don't you know how this hurts me? It's exactly the same. We are all being rewarded. We are all, you know, subject to all of these kinds of incentive systems. My argument to families is you're rewarding your kids all the time, whether you're doing that systematically or not, because by law, and this is how I will say it, and I try to have like humor with people. So don't do this. This isn't 
your personality because <laughs> it can sound kind of harsh, but by law, you are required to provide only like three things to your kids. You're required to provide shelter for them. You are required to provide food for them. You are required to provide clothing for them. But guess what? Shelter is a structure that has electricity and running water and heat and protects you from the elements. And it is not Wi-Fi. Shelter is not a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Shelter is not Pokemon cards. Shelter is not Lego sets or Disney Plus or Netflix. Like those things are not shelter. That's all stuff that you work super hard to provide to your kids. Uh, clothing is stuff that covers your body appropriate to the season, protects you from sun and rain and cold and jackets and boots and all that stuff. Like that stuff is clothing. Clothing is not the coolest new hoodie. Clothing is not like the best new sneaks. Clothing is not like a really cute bathing suit. Clothing is like, that's all stuff that you're doing as a parent, which is awesome. You're rewarding your kids all the time. So what did I do? I said shelter. I said, oh, food. Food is stuff that is nutritional, that supports your growth and makes you strong. And we all need food. We need meals to sustain and grow and be healthy. But food is not Dunkin' Donuts on a Friday before school. Food is not Chuck E. Cheese. Food is not let's go to Taco Bell real quick. Like food is not, hey, you get to pick whatever you want for dessert. Parents are rewarding their kids all the time. They're just not always doing it systematically. So I think also parents are kind of like, well, I don't want to reward my kid for doing the stuff they're supposed to do. And my argument is you are. You are doing it right now. You are doing it whether you like it or not. You know what I mean? Well, not whether you like it or not, but you're doing it. You're just maybe not doing it in the way that's actually going to be the most efficient, matching your kids where your kids are at. Does that kind of click or does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, totally, totally. I And I love the about, I mean, I've told parents that too, like, you know, I, you know, I, I love my job and I come here because I love doing this work and it makes me feel smart and I enjoy helping people. But, you know, I do get paid, you know, I'm not just doing it. <laughs> and doing nothing else, you know, so I, I've definitely used that analogy before. Yeah. The other way I get credibility about reward systems is to kick it off by being like, here are all the reasons they don't work. Because oftentimes parents are like super pumped to tell you why it won't work. <laughs> when I'm, Whenever I bring it up, they're like, that doesn't work. And I'm like, so before I can even hear those words come out of a parent's mouth, I'd say, here are the top four reasons that reward systems do not work. Here's the reasons they fail. And they oftentimes have to do with stage two, stage one stuff. The number one reason that reward systems fail has to do with immediacy, has to do with instant gratification, has to do with sense of time. I'm a kid. I'm a kid with ADHD. I'm a kid with behavior problems. I'm a kid with executive functioning difficulties for whatever reason. Two weeks for a paycheck, I don't even know what that means. One week for a paycheck. Honestly, 24 hours is a long time for me. And it's really hard for me to connect the thing I did 24 hours ago to the rewards you're giving me or a week ago or whatever. And so oftentimes families will be like, okay, fine, we'll do a reward system. If they're good for a week, then we'll go to Chuck E. Cheese. And that is a plan that your kids might be super pumped about, but actually cannot, cannot conceive of next week and don't know what be good means and can't make those kinds of, a week is like a lifetime. I need things now. Now is what I understand. Again, this is like some stage one, stage two stuff. Now, me, my needs, now, when, 
W. <laughs> and so if I don't have a system that that keys into this need for instant gratification for immediacy, it's going to fail. So if you've got a kid who's in stage two, stage one, you really can't use like, like money. Money isn't going to be it. You do need to do something that's going to cover this immediacy need. And so for me, it actually does end up being tokens, tickets, stars, something that I can see. The best is something that I can touch. My favorite thing are like raffle tickets. You can buy raffle tickets like on Amazon for like $2 or go to Walmart and get raffle tickets. The dollar store sometimes has raffle tickets. You can buy raffle tickets for super cheap and you see something good that you want or you systematically make a list of behaviors that you think are rewardable. And every time you see it, you can rip off two raffle tickets and hand them to your child. This is immediacy. And those raffle tickets can be cashed in for Chuck E. Cheese at the end of the week. But I've covered the immediacy problem because I'm seeing you do the behavior. I'm rewarding it right now with something that has a lot of value to you, but has no value to me. I can't every time you do something good, take you to Dunkin' Donuts. I can't every time you do something good, take you to Five Below. I can't every single time you do something good, have some sort of like immediate reward right here, right now for you. But I can rip off three raffle tickets and 10 raffle tickets means we can get a donut. 10 raffle tickets means we can pick out a Pokemon card. 10 raffle tickets means we can have 15 extra minutes of screen time or whatever. You can generate a lot of different ideas, but you're covering what kids really need, which is immediacy. And oftentimes people are like, okay, the rewards are uh, at the end of the day, you can get a point. And at the end of the week, if you have enough points, then we'll do a giant thing. And it's like, all of that is too abstract. Mm. Immediacy means I need the reward now. Something that is representative of the reward now. So, and does that work? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so it's like you, you give a ticket just like, I love that you just did that. I'm going to give you a ticket Great for question. that. Do you ever take the tickets back? Not when I'm getting started. When I'm trying to get, you know, when I'm trying to get people bought into the system, when I'm trying to get kids bought into the system, no, I don't take them back. What I do occasionally do. So the best way to do a reward system is to have a list of behaviors that you like. And you can always do bonus. So what you were just talking about is like bonus. Like I saw something cool. Here's some bonus. But the best systems are ones that are systems are ones where it's like, here's like six things you can do in a day to earn tickets. They are each worth X, Y, and Z amount of tickets. I'll talk about how you do that in just a second. And if you do these X, Y, and Z things, you can earn this many tickets and you can get this many max tickets in a day. That's a really great system. What you can also do once you've got people bought into the idea of the system is have another list that's like, these are automatic deductions. If you, if you use a swear word, that's an automatic, I'm going to take back two tickets. If you use physical aggression against anyone in the mm. family, that's an automatic negative 10. If you, you know, some things that are like kind of classic things that you see in your house that you want to prevent, you can make them automatic. This is some stage two stuff. This prevents you as a parent from doing vengeance. If it's systematic and the consequences are systematic, now it's not me trying to like hurt you emotionally. This is just the, this is the rule. This is the rule. I'm not a mean mom. I made a rule. We, mm. as a family, talked about it. This is the automatic deduction. You'll think twice the next time you use a curse word. You'll think twice the next time you lay your hands on your brother. And I don't have to get into it with you. 
and I don't need to make you feel the pain. This is a stage two consequence, stage two rewards. And so I think, uh, again, I think it's really hard for parents to kind of like believe in the power of a reward system because it sounds real like, I don't know, I'm a stage three person. This sounds really dumb and I don't want to do it. But it, it is designed to be a stage one, stage two kind of a thing. And it's, it is like if you don't do it in the sort of developmentally matched way, it is going to fail. And I think that is why systems fail is because we've got some stage three thinkers thinking about like, well, what would motivate me? And that's not the stuff that motivates most kids. We need it to be immediate. We need it to match. We need it to, uh, to address something called strain. So strain is the number two thing that oftentimes goes wrong with systems, which is a little bit what I was talking about, I think, in our very first episode about executive functioning. Strain is this idea. If you said, hey, Colleen, go shoot a free throw. I'll give you $10 million. I would be like, whoa, I really want $10 million. I love the idea of that. I'm super motivated. I want to do it. But the truth is, I haven't held a basketball in my hands since I was like 10 years old and I'm 35 right now. I There is no way I could make a basket right now, like a free throw, bat. maybe like a one in a million chance I could like try and like, okay, athletically, but $10 million on the line, I'm probably not doing it. That's a strain problem. Am I super motivated by $10 million? Yeah, I am. But I can't do what you're asking me to do. This is some classic reward system stuff where I think parents will say, be good all day and then... I will take you to Chuck E. Cheese. That is a strain problem. I'm desperate to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I love it. And I can bring a friend. I love that. But I have never been good all day, all day. I can't get in trouble at all. I can't make a mistake at all. If the teacher corrects me at all, I can't go to Chuck E. Cheese with my friends. I've never done that. Like I've ne That's never happened for me. And so sometimes, again, I think parents are like, hey, if I'm offering the thing they want more than anything, then they'll rise to that moment. It's like, mm. oftentimes reward systems are like mm. too hard or we're asking for behaviors that we've never seen before. Yeah. Be quiet all day. That's I've never done that. And you could be offering me the thing I want more than anything. And it doesn't matter. I can't do what you're asking me to do. That's a strain problem. Right. Well, is that something that families come together then to figure out? And I mean, I'm, I'm envisioning you're helping yeah. them do this together. Like, how do we come up with a list? What's it worth? I mean, is that something people negotiate? No. Do, do just the parents do it? Is it something you do with the kids? You said the magic word, which is negotiate, right? That's like a real stage two thing that kids are like obsessed with. This is a way to harness that like instinct to negotiate in a positive way. Let's get excited about the reward system. Kids love negotiating. And this is negotiating in a way that's developmentally appropriate and socially acceptable. Let's negotiate. Great. And you're the one who's going to be the final arbiter, but you're harnessing the exact... I said that word, right? I said negotiating was like a core thing that kids in stage two want to do. And so, yeah, let kids be a part of the process. And the way to get it strain is to have a reward system that has some variety. Oftentimes, parents only want to put the hardest stuff on there because that's the stuff they're like the most urgently trying to fix. Put some easy stuff on there. You know what battles we never have? We never have battles about putting your shoes on to get out the door. So let's have putting shoes on be one of our things. It's only worth one ticket because that's pretty easy or pretty good at that. And I don't need to hassle you too much about that. Let's have that be worth one. But you know, we always argue about brushing teeth, getting in the bathroom, brushing teeth for the full two minutes. 
That one's going to be worth five. That one's harder. We'll do a little bit more. Five. Things that I've never seen you do, we're not going to put on here right now. I'm going to break that thing I never see you do into a tiny thing. If you can be quiet while I'm making dinner, if you can, you know what I mean, like occupy yourself with a quiet task while your brother's doing homework, whatever, you know what I mean? Like pick something smaller, doable, more manageable, make it worth like a moderate amount of tickets. That's attacking strain. And actually, you're right. Kids are actually really into negotiating this and thinking about it. You're building executive functioning by having them predict and think and doing that game with you in a way that is not punitive. Well, and you get to they get to help you make the rules. So they would love that, too. (laughs) Absolutely. You're harnessing you're harnessing where they're at developmentally. And so I think sometimes, yeah, reward systems get a bad rap or they get poo-pooed, but that's because we're trying to, we're not matching. But if you can do this, sit down, come up with rules, make it a system. Tell your kids like, hey, we don't reward you enough. <laughs> we don't reward you enough, not, not systematically, not consistently, and you deserve that. You work really hard in our family. So if you do the things that you're supposed to do, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain, which is to consistently offer you these rewards, which you don't have to go out and buy a hundred things or go a hundred places. I know that's sort of the examples I've been using because I think those are the ones that families oftentimes want to use. But the truth is screen time is a reward. That is not, that is not an inherent right. That is not written anywhere (laughs) in the constitution or anything. Like that is not a right. That's a privilege. Have your kids earn things like screen time. Have your kids earn things like the password to the Wi-Fi. Have your kids earn things like access to the Nintendo Switch or the ability to buy apps on the iPad or, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff like that that you are already doing and you're already paying for. And another reason that reward systems fail is that rewards are non-contingent. I've got a lot of families who are like, hey, we tried reward systems and we even did like the immediacy thing. We have tickets that have their names on them and they're we made, you know, Brian bucks and we we got tokens that have unicorns on them. Like we got them really cool stuff. And so we're doing the immediacy piece. But it's true. I don't care about a token with a unicorn on it. If I have unlimited access to screens, the internet, my phone, iPad, TV, switch. And so if you say something like, well, I'm not going to give you a unicorn token. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I have like a hundred other things I could play with right now. I don't really need a unicorn token. I don't care if you take me to Chuck E. Cheese on the weekend or not. So you do want a system that does make rewards contingent. Right. It has to matter to them. Has to matter. And if you're doing a ton, a ton of non-contingent rewarding, then your system's not going to work. Yeah. Because I'm not working for a unicorn token if like my kind of rules. (laughs) I think for some families, the struggle is, is I have nothing left to take away. Yeah. You know, that they've, they've run out of nothing seems to matter to the kid because what they want is to win. (laughs) Right. Or they're just like, I don't care. Fine. Take it all away. Right. Now, I don't know how long that lasts, but. It doesn't, right? Because when you take stuff away like that, who is actually punished? Oh, the parents for sure. 100%, right? Like 100%. Oh, yeah. It's misery. 100%. Yeah. So I often tell parents, like, be careful what you decide the punishment's going to be because it may end up being you that is, you know, going to be stuck with them. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I love these ideas and that it just makes it sound so fun. And I want a raffle ticket. Yeah. Do I get raffle tickets tonight? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it is fun. And that's that's the thing, right? It's like, I think what you were just saying about like, I've already taken everything away. What an awful feeling. You know what I mean? What an awful feeling as a kid, as a parent. Nobody wants yeah. to do that. This is fun. It leverages kids' strengths. It meets them where they're at. It, it acknowledges that we're a team and we're now working across purposes. It's offering choice and freedom. And it's doing stuff you're already doing in just a more strategic way that actually is going to get kids excited. That's where behavior change happens. That's where motivation happens. That's how you build people up, you know, and, and start to work on some of these executive functioning skills. I think oftentimes when parents are feeling desperate, they are like, what's the discipline strategy? What's the consequence? How do I take something away that's really going to, that's vengeance. And vengeance is not a behavior change strategy. Yeah. Oh, that's vengeance is not a behavior change strategy. I love that. Well, you've given us so much. I feel like if somebody wants to have like a ADHD <laughs> intervention degree, they should listen to all of these podcasts. And then if you want to throw in some depression, anxiety, listen to those too, because they're also amazing. So in just trying to tie this all up, because honestly, I feel like we could go on for a long time. I, I love I love your use of examples because it it's so real. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I love that about you. Um, you're really, really good at that. So let's let's wrap up with some, you know, kind of final take homes on on executive function ADHD. Yeah. So I think as like a pediatric person, like a person in healthcare out in the world trying to take care of kids, like I always say, I think I've said it every single executive functioning episode that we've had. To me, you setting the stage and setting the expectations is the most essential thing you could do. I know that there's a lot of interventions out there, but I actually think taking the time to help families understand this is what executive functioning is. Kids with ADHD tend to be two to three years delayed behind their same age peers. And, you know, some of these problems are won't do problems, like I won't do it. But some of these problems are can't do problems. I can't. You know, and I think actually as a parent, that can be a really freeing experience to to start to differentiate some of that. And so I love that rescuing quote that you put out there, like kids do what they can. That's true. That's true. And so I think helping families to see that and knowing what to expect and how to match where kids are at, that's essential with executive functioning. I think reminding families that like nobody is good at this. No adults are good at like, I mean, adults are better at it, a lot better. No kids are good at it. And, and kids with ADHD really do struggle. So I think expectation setting as a pediatric person is some of the best stuff that you can do. I think that, uh, you know, the other pieces of this are just sort of, you know, when you're feeling kind of lost, going back to some of the basic things, the things that don't work or haven't worked in the past, sometimes it really is retrying them with like a slightly different bent or like a slightly different intention or a slightly different spirit, a reward system, like a special play time, like a quality time kind of an intervention, like a, like a timeout or a TLC kind of an approach. These are all things that parents have been doing for generations after generations after generations, but I think they kind of honor a little bit more this executive functioning frame and situate the child, take, takes it more from like a strengths-based perspective. 
So I don't know. Those are some of sort of generic takeaways. I don't know if there's other things that would be helpful to comment on. No, I think, and I've done several podcasts with folks working with kids that have had significant trauma and and helping build parents' relational health and, you know, this idea of play, of being with kids. I loved your description of like the the five-minute golden time, you know. I mean, the, all these things that you're talking about make it sound like th- there is hope and that it's fun and we just have to be smarter than the kids as far as, okay, I get this and I'm going to try real hard to understand and do better, you know, because I have the the ability to do that. You don't. But, you know, that's my job as a parent to be smarter than you and to have some strategies. And then hopefully when you're my age, you get to do that. Now, we all know that we you know, this is all a learning thing, but I, I just love the examples and um, the setting expectations, I think, is is huge. And and the education, kind of explaining this to parents so they understand like, oh, you know, it's like the the hangry kind of, you know, like if you're hungry, it makes you angry. Well, you know, let, let's take care of the food part. If, if you know that every time that your kid didn't get a, you know, a snack that they have a meltdown, well, maybe. Maybe that's not a reward. Maybe that's something they need. So I, I love this. So I just think the world of you, I think you're brilliant. And I just think so practical, so practical and you're fun. Oh. So thank you. It's a, truly a reward for me. Oh, me <laughs> to too. I find a lot of joy in it. Spend time in my closet with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very fun as always. And uh, thank you. And, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, thanks so much. And We'll come up with another topic for the next time because I I just want to have you back. I would love it. All right. Take care, Colleen. Bye. So here are my takeaways for this amazing series on ADHD and executive function. So number one, uh, we are back after the cliffhanger. This is where we hopped in to see what to do about things that get broken and other behaviors that matter. Number two. A key message for parents, rewards are not bribery and you are rewarding kids all the time. You just need to rethink how to use rewards in a meaningful way to change behaviors. Number three, the law says you have to provide food, shelter, and clothing. That doesn't mean Taco Bell or Wi-Fi or your own phone and not designer sneakers. Number four, for rewards to work, they should be immediate, reduce strain to get them, be consistent, and non-contingent. Number five, parents need to take the high ground here. This is not about seeking vengeance. It's about using logic and it can even be fun. Number six, it's all about matching the reward and response to the moral developmental stage. I thought this was just brilliant. Number seven, remember stage one, win, lose. Stage two, big win, little win. And three, I feel you. Number eight, for stage one, match with immediate response. When you bite, you go to your crib. Number nine, stage two, don't expect deep empathy and remorse. These aren't terrible people. It's just the stage that they are in. Do offer direct information and use TLC. What's the task? What's the time limit? And what's the consequence? For example, if you don't brush your teeth in the next 10 seconds, no book reading tonight. If you break the vase, 
you clean it up, and you have to earn money to buy a new one. So it's just the rules, just the facts. Number 10, stage three. Kids and adults in this stage find that an economy system works here. I mean, this is one of the reasons we go to work. We get paychecks. Even if we love our jobs, we're not doing it for free. So for example, you can use with older kids, you know, earning screen time. The reward though has to matter. Number 11, for families, use something like raffle tickets for stage two. It can be very powerful. And Colleen really describes this in great detail about how that works. Number 12, set up a family meeting to negotiate and set the rules of the behavior game. Number 13, you get rewarded for tasks. Sometimes you get deductions, but start with the wins first. Offer lots of variety and let kids help develop the list. Number 14, pearls. Set expectations for parents. These are not bad kids. They just have bad skills. Number 15, this is not about cognition or IQ. Smart kids can have crappy executive function and kids with ADHD can really struggle with this. Number 16, So this was big fun, and I love the conversations, the examples, and the clarifications. Number 17, Colleen will be back in 2023 with more goodies for you, so stay tuned. Want more about ADHD and executive function? Check out her episode number 88 for part one, number 109 for part two, and number 119 for part three. And for more, find these episodes episode number 26 on anxiety, and episode number 71 on depression. It's all so good. She's just the best. Number 18. Next up, ADHD coaching to round out our ADHD series. I hope that you guys have found this as interesting, fun, and helpful and useful as I have. I love all this information. I hope you guys have a great rest of the day and that when you walk into a room and you're wondering, you know, is this a patient that is struggling with ADHD, you're going to have a whole bunch of tools and insights to help your patients and families. So have a great one. And I look forward to you joining me next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. And I hope you found it as interesting as I did. In the words of Maya Angelou, Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero. If you would like to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook at Dr. Leah Gugino and on Instagram at Pediatric Meltdown. I would love listener ideas and suggestions and hope to hear from you. Thank you so much and I hope you will join me next week.